random assignment. Could the CDC have flip-flopped? I mean, they're scientists and everything. Uh, Angeles with American Federation for Children is here to answer that question. And I'm Bob Bowden with Choice Media. How's it going, Corey? Doing pretty, pretty okay. I'm here in Chicago. Um, no, I'm not visiting the teachers union out here oh. and vacationing with them. But uh, yeah, I'm here uh, for a work event and heading to Salt Lake City, Utah tomorrow for ALEC. So I wanted to, because of feedback from a viewer, I wanted to say what's coming up in the show today on Random Assignment. Yeah. In addition- What are we going to talk about? To the CDC flip-flopping. Uh, also coming up is Larry Elder is running for governor of California. He's going to talk about, we have a clip from him talking last week at the Freedom Fest, which is a conference, uh, talking about why he's running for governor and about school choice. Also, a Minnesota fourth grader was told that the questionnaire her class was given about transgenderism must be kept from the parents. She ends up going to the school board meeting and explaining how the teacher instructed the entire class, don't tell your parents. Also, Rich Dad, Poor Dad author Robert Kiyosaki spoke on a YouTube channel about his uh, growing up, actually. His dad, it turns out, was a teacher's union president in the state of Hawaii. And he talks about what he learned about teacher's unions. And also, I don't know if you've heard of Queen Latifah, but we have a king on the show. King Randall is the name of a guy in a clip we're going to hear from a bit later who uh, is described as a black conservative. And he explains why the private school he founded primarily for a student po population of fatherless boys is important. We'll also go over um, some things that the Chicago Teachers Union is calling for today. Um, and we'll, we'll also go over... Of course, um, Randy Weingarten's latest mishaps, and then uh, <laughs> as we'll 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 go over a, a Ninth Circuit victory in California that affirms the rights of parents to to choose private schools for their kids. So we have and a lot of so much more. We're just giving a smattering of the stories because of viewer feedback we got at the conference at Freedom Fest. And by, uh, so, by okay, the so way, Corey, it pardon? was good to see you. It was good to see you, Bob. It, it we. We just saw each other in, in South Dakota for Freedom Fest for, for listeners, and I was there for like five, six days, and when I saw you in person, I hadn't realized that we hadn't seen each other in at least a year or two. Yes, also lovely to see every week. your beautiful fiance too, Cassidy, also there on hand. So yeah, it was a fun time had by all, um, you know, uh, and just as, as a... Uh, a little detail, maybe an unnecessary detail. Freedom Fest had been in Las Vegas for many years in a row, something like, I think, eight years in a row, and it skipped last year because of COVID. But this year, having it in South Dakota, Rapid City, South Dakota is beautiful. There's a western edge of South Dakota where the Black Hill Mountains are, where Mount Rushmore is, where this crazy horse monument is also in the, in the mountains. There's lakes and mountains. It's, I found it stunning. Same. Yeah, I didn't get to go to Crazy Horse, but we did make the, our way over to Mount Rushmore. But let's get into uh, the CDC flip-flopping on mask guidance. Um, on July 9th, they had issued guidance uh, for K-12 schools to have masks for kids who are not vaccinated. And here's a story um, from the Associated Press, I believe. Vaccinated teachers and students don't need masks, CDC says. Two weeks later, yesterday, we get this breaking news from CNN and, and, and other outlets before it was actually announced in the afternoon that, well, you know what? Uh, CDC's said, just kidding. Uh, everyone in K-12 schools must wear a mask. Regardless of vaccination status, CNN was correct with the, the leaked information that they received. And yesterday, the CDC reversed its guidance. From just I like your inclusion of the timeline there because it wasn't like, oh, nine months later when new data came in. Oh, yeah, I see. I of course, the scientists are going to respond to new information. This is practically like a week or two apart. And and of course, the American Academy of Pediatrics was involved, too. But it just shows the bouncing ping pong ball on this. Yeah, thing. I mean, the way the way that it looks to me is CDC released this guidance. The American, the Academy of American Pediatricians responded uh, pretty quickly after that, and then 
CDC flip-flopped right after the, the AAP responded. And for listeners, the AAP um, has some financial interests with uh, a lot of big donors from Pfizer, Moderna, or no, Pfizer, Merck, and and one other uh, health, health company, Johnson & Johnson as well. Uh, but they also cited the teachers unions favorably in their latest uh, um, press release on the masking guidance as their colleagues in the in the field of education. So they uh, cited the American Federation of Teachers favorably when calling for more federal funding of schools, uh, e- even after the wow. federal government already allocated about $190 billion to K-12 education. I, I didn't know that, Corey. So, that, I mean, that sounds so overtly political. They, they're, they're supposed to be scientists talking about medicine. And they say, oh, and this funding initiative by a private organization called the Teachers Union, we're going to celebrate their wisdom of this public policy decision. Uh, uh, boy. Wait, I mean, wait, yeah, hold up. R- Randy, immediate, Randy Weingarten immediately... Uh, responded to this new guidance and said something like, you know, we, we got to trust the science. Um, we're, you know, if, if the CDC, which is same thing as science, tell us tells us to do something, we're going to do it. But my response was, well, it's easy to say that, one, when you influenced CDC guidance before when it came to the school reopenings, and we didn't find out about that until uh, months later after you um, – provided the CDC with uh, guidance that they took nearly verbatim on at least two occasions as uncovered by uh, the New York Post here. Powerful Teachers Union influenced CDC on school reopenings. That was May 1st, uh, a story. And then also uh, someone else, and then myself included, pointed out that, well, when the CDC issued guidance on allowing schools to go to three feet distancing instead of six feet distancing, Randy Weingarten pushed back against that immediately and said, oh, hold up. We, you know, we got to we got to think about this a little. But so she's only following the quote unquote science when it suits her agenda. When it's foreclosure, the science when the science is foreclosure, she's for the science. When the science suggests time to open, then she does things like sues and strikes. Her union does anyway. Sues and strikes. Maybe it's the union locals. I'm not sure it's Randy deciding every time, but. Her union, various locals decide to sue and strike, as we've covered before many times. In fact, I tweeted my list of of examples of that, where the Philadelphia American Federation of Teachers president told teachers not to come to work. That was after the scientists in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia said it was okay to open schools. And all kinds of legal actions where the AFT union locals sued in places like West Virginia to keep schools closed and places like Providence, Rhode Island. And there's a list of at least eight. Go ahead. I mean, they even tried it in Florida, too. A lot of people were saying, oh, well, you know, Florida was able to do it. Yeah, but it's because uh, Florida's teachers unions weren't as influential as places with stronger teachers unions. That doesn't mean that they didn't try in Florida. Oh, sure. It was the NEA in the case of Florida, not the AFT. But yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. They tried. They, They sued in Florida, the NEA statewide. And for all the people trying to say on my timeline, I mean, it's not a lot. There's like one or two people that have responded by saying, Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's great that the CDC reversed course and changed in a couple of weeks because the science is evolving and things have changed. Um, uh, the, the virus is just so much more risky now. And we got to think about this Delta thing. Uh, but then I, I sent you in the messenger a little bit earlier and I responded to the to the co- person in the comments uh, right before we started with a couple of charts. Here is. Uh, nationwide coronavirus deaths um, from the I'm stunned when you thing. sent me this. I hadn't checked yeah. recently. I have all kinds of bookmarks for websites about COVID. Believe me, international, national, state-based comparisons. I am, I'm up to the gills with bookmarks for COVID data. I had not seen the chart this recently, and I can't believe what it looks like considering all the messaging about masking yeah. and even about the White House saying new lockdowns may be coming. Maybe. Yeah, so coronavirus deaths are continuing to trend downwards before any masking rules were put in place in school, before this re- most recent guidance change on the 27th, obviously. You can see the trend going downwards o- over you know, the past several months. And then some people responded by saying, well, hospitalizations, you know, they, they didn't die, but it could be that they're very severe Ill- illness. So I went and tracked down the hospitalization data 
look at it's, it's the same downward trend over the same time period. And you probably can't see this, but uh, the colors differentiate the age of the people that were hospitalized. You can't really see the ages between zero and 17 because they're a very small piece of the picture. But if you look really closely at the very top line of color, uh, it's like kind of yellowish and brownish above the light blue. That is ages. Those two combined, there's, there's actually two colors on top of the light blue that most you can't really discern the two because they're pretty close together. But that's ages zero to four and five to, to 17. And you're talking uh, about a tiny percentage of a tiny raw number when yeah. considered compared to the national population. Right. So, yeah, I mean, we, all of the media messaging about this Delta variant. Goodness gracious. I mean, it really seems to I was kind of debating a bit with a friend of mine on text today, which many of us do. And I was telling her, like, look, this this is going to be. What's the next thing is going to be the Epsilon variant omega. or yeah, the yeah. Lambda variant or the Omega variant or whatever other variant. I mean, th- there are people who benefit from lockdowns, as I've said before. And this is not said enough. It's pretended as if everybody just wants the best. There's no interest apart from public health involved. Everyone, no one, no one is in it for money at all. Of course not. And in fact, all kinds of constituencies. I mean, if nothing else, Amazon benefits from lockdowns and big box stores benefit from lockdowns compared to small mom and shop competitors, mom and pop competitors. And certain politicians benefit from lockdowns by selling the I will save you, uh, you know, narrative, et cetera. So anyway, I'm those numbers that you show. Amazing. If you look at the, the, the media narrative on this Delta thing. No, it's it's consistent fear mongering. And there's a lot of people who have made their name on social media. Some some um, people that have that have their whole shtick has been fear mongering, fear mongering, fear mongering ever since this thing started. If I'm I'm thinking of Eric Fiegelding, for example, no one really knew who he was before all of this. Uh, He's the same guy that sent his own kid to in-person school in Austria when the schools were locked down here, but then he's calling for continued lockdowns in the United States. And his whole thing is he's gotten a lot of attention for fear mongering over the past 15, 18 months. Um, So he he probably has an incentive to continue that for his own prestige. Yeah. But all right. Well, let's. Is it okay if we move on? I just can't talk about this COVID lockdown stuff too much. It drives me crazy. It makes me sad. Go ahead, go ahead. We, we shared this last week, but I wanted to update people on state. There, So the CDC changed their masking guidance, but that's not a mandate. Uh, and there are some states where public schools cannot require families to put masks on their kids in school. So that some of the states are Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Iowa, Utah, Arizona and South Carolina. So if you live in those states, this CDC recommendation is just a recommendation to the families and the public schools are not permitted to force kids to uh, to mask the, the uh, throughout the school day. OK. All right. Well, I was super excited because I personally got a chance to talk with uh, Larry Elder. For those who don't know, Uh, California has a law where they can recall a governor and it works. There's a ballot that has two questions on the ballot. Question number one, should the governor be recalled? Question number two, who should replace the governor? So if the first question gets 50 percent plus one, meaning most people say a a simple majority say the governor should be recalled. The way it works is whoever has the plurality on the second question becomes governor. So in other words, imagine a scenario that the someone could get 16 percent of the vote and still be the most number of votes. And so the second ranking person could get, I don't know, eight percent. And the third person could get four percent. The fourth person could get two percent. That's 16 percent vote getter provided the first question comes up 50 percent plus one. That plurality person on the second uh, question, ballot question, would become governor. So let's start with what Larry Elder said. Uh, um he was speaking, and this was last week at the Freedom Fest conference, and let's see it. I went to four different high schools. Larry had some issues. We won't talk about that. But uh, I was bussed from Crenshaw because I had exhausted all the Spanish. I made A's in Spanish. I thought I was a world beater. I went to a school called Fairfax. 
night and day. The kids were predominantly Jewish. I know that because during Yom Kippur, you could come to campus or not. Only two people came that day, myself and a janitor. <laughs> These kids were fluent in Spanish. I did not believe you could learn how to speak a language and, and attain fluency in a classroom setting. I thought you'd learn how to conjugate a few verbs, learn some nouns, and then maybe when you go to Mexico, you can put it all together. These kids were fluent. For the first time in my life, I got a D. Funny little thing, a D. I never, I never got a D before. I came home that first day and I was crying. I told my mother I felt I'd gotten ripped off. I said, I know I could have kept up with these kids if I'd had the same kind of demands placed upon me as long as they had. And she started crying too. And she said, Larry, I know your father and I should have put you in a better school. We didn't have the money. Maybe someday you can grow up and do something about it. Well, that someday is here. Okay, first thing you might say, but what is the, what percentage of Californians want to replace the governor, meaning Gavin Newsom? So last week we were looking at a poll that was printed in Newsweek. It was a seven point gap. Well, this is just published yesterday. This is from the LA Times, a new poll showing it's now a 3% gap, only 40, so 47% say recall the governor, 50% say keep Gavin Newsom. This is, they have two months Larry Elder and the other competitors have two months to make a three-point gap up. And it is electrifying some of the base who support school choice in California. And that's, uh, I mean, that's almost in the, the, the range of the margin of error, probably. 3%. Sure. Well, I, I asked Larry myself, I said, you know, what are you going to do to not be the next Arnold Schwarzenegger, meaning he's running as a Republican. Who, and in my opinion, Arnold Schwarzenegger was quickly emasculated by the legislature in California. And his answer was kind of funny. He said, the difference is Arnold Schwarzenegger is an actor and they're used to always having to like be nice to everybody and kiss everyone's backside and try to be loved all the time so they'll get the next role. He says, the difference is he's been called nasty names for decades now. Every bad name in the book he said he is not afraid of being called names, unlike Schwarzenegger. And so we'll see. Of course, there's still the legislature would stand in the way. But I was uh, pumped to see. And, and by the way, Larry Elder is the leading replacement, according to polls also. So it meaning if that 3% margin is, ma is made up and 50% plus one say get rid of Gavin Newsom, as of right now, it would be Mr. Elder. Something else uh, that happened in California just a few days ago, the news came out, was the, Cent the Center for American Liberty had a lawsuit against Governor Newsom and the state of California for shuttering private and public schools uh, in 2020. And the court, the lower courts ruled with the, with the governor, but the latest ruling on last Friday was the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals a federal court that ruled in favor of private school families, arguing that the government uh, did not have a right to shutter private schools uh, because it infringed on their constitutional rights. Uh, so that was a, the good news. And I think a lot of us were expecting that result. Um, uh, but then we they also ruled against families in public schools saying that the government had the authority to, to shutter the, the public schools. So it was kind of a half win, half loss scenario. Um, uh, you know, it, it's kind of sucks for the kids in the public schools. Look, I mean, if you, if you can't afford to send your kid to a private school, can pub, I mean, they're essentially admitting that public schools have no uh, duty to, to provide services to their customers. Um, I kind of disagree with the ruling, especially with all these state constitutions um, put, saying that the state has a, a, a duty to, to provide an adequate education. Families are paying for it through the property tax system. Uh, so, yeah, I disagree with half the ruling, but at least they ruled in favor of the, the family sending their kids to private schools. This is just another argument for school choice too. let families take their kids education dollars to schools that want to continue to be open and provide an education that works for their kids. You know, just as I always say in these kinds of stories, even when our side wins in these court decisions, 
it really makes me crazy to see judges setting education policy and all kinds of policies. You know, in some future life, I'll make another documentary just about judges becoming executives because there are so many examples of this. And I don't think anybody talks about it enough. It's not in our system that judges are supposed to set policy. You know, the state of New Jersey, the Supreme Court of New Jersey ordered the governor to spend more on schools. It ordered the dollar value that Governor Christie at the time had allocated to education to be an unconstitutional dollar value. They said they ordered him to spend more money. That was the order. And he was going to actually fight them on it. And I really wish he had. And some called that a constitutional crisis. But then a bunch of federal money came in. And then he said, oh, OK, well, I guess it's all right. And I, it made it frustrated me that that fight was not had. But anyway, judges making policy is mess even when we win. And all right. the, uh, the, the money quote from the judge, just real quick, Daniel Collins was, quote, California's forced closure of their private schools implicates a right that has long been considered fundamental under the applicable case law. The right of parents to control their children's education and to choose their children's educational forum. That sounds like a right to school choice to me. Okay, Um, I want to quickly hit a couple of Detroit stories. First, 88 percent of Detroit third graders below proficient in reading. Oh, goodness. I mean, there's nothing new about these kinds of statistics. You know, we've been talking about I've been talking about for 10 years, but the law held none back. So (laughs) virtually nine out of 10. I mean, this is a crisis. Virtually nine out of 10 third, third graders can't read at proficient levels, but they all move on to fourth grade. And we're going to see, uh, well, later in the in the video by uh, the guy named King Randall from Georgia, he talks about how he some of the kids go to his school, they can't read, and they're in the sixth grade. He says they can't read cat or dog. So anyway, and then at the same time, we have another story from Chalkbeat. Detroit District and Union gives teachers $2,000 extra to work inside school buildings. This is hazard pay they're getting. Okay, so this is... <laughs> I mean, we're not talking about pre-vaccine. This is vaccinated teachers all being paid extra money. And we're supposed to believe that the vaccine is a godsend and that you're a crazy conspiracy theorist to not get the vaccine. Why? Because it's so effective. And yet, even if you're vaccinated, what does the district decide to do? Well, you get you get hazard pay to work inside a school. And by, by the way, who's getting hazard pay? This is the teaching staff where 88 percent of the third graders can't read. So I mean, a couple of this, Detroit stories. This is just ridiculous calling it hazard pay. Just call it what it is. You know, you got extra money from the federal government. You're doing you're just giving them some extra money to do the jobs that they're that they're supposed to do. Uh, anyway, do I mean, the they, they, supposed they, to do. it would be well, one thing if they were actually great. Uh, teachers. <laughs> you know. But yeah, but 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 you know, actually, to come in person and to provide the childcare services as well, they're getting two thousand dollars extra. I mean, if it was actual hazard pay, you think you think it would probably be a little more than two thousand dollars. It's not really hazard pay; it's just an additional bonus for doing the job that they're expected to do anyway. The the job that everybody in every other profession essentially did over the past year. You were expecting. Yeah, I don't call this other- an additional bonus, Corey. I call I, one of our one of our viewers said that, that, that she likes it when we disagree. I don't call this an additional bonus. Bonus means you did a good job, ah. that, but that's what bonus means. Eighty eight percent can't read. Yeah, so that well, they're they're getting it's a, a scam. An, un, an unearned bonus of two thousand yeah. uh, dollars because they secured multiple ransom payments from the federal government by pe- keeping schools closed for so long over the past year while. Everybody else returned to work. Where, where, where's the, the hazard pay for the grocery store workers? Where's the hazard pay for the private school workers? It's, it's not hazard pay. They're just calling that to make this uh, fear mongering continue endlessly. All right. Let me tell you guys about a this Minnesota fourth grader. She came to the microphone at a school board meeting to tell this incredible story, which was that Our teacher, our fourth grade teacher, told us we're going to be asked questions about transgenderism and we were not supposed to tell our parents anything about this test. My name is Haley Osgar. I was in fourth grade at Riverview Intermediate School last year. During distance learning, I was asked to complete that equity survey. My teacher said that I could not skip any questions even when I didn't understand them. 
One question asked us what gender file we identified with. I was very confused along with a lot of other classmates. A boy in my class asked my teacher if his mom could explain the question to him because even after the teacher explained it, he still didn't understand. My teacher told him that he was not allowed to ask his mom and that we could not repeat any of the questions to our parents. I want the school board to know how uncomfortable and nervous this made me. My mom always tells me I can tell her anything, but she also tells me I can trust my teachers too. Being asked to hide this from my mom made me feel very uncomfortable. I was doing like I was doing something wrong. Thank you. Yeah, a brave, uh, you know, nine-year-old girl, I guess, a fourth grader. Uh, you know, to go up to the microphone and tell the story. I, uh, but I mean, for those again who say this is crazy, what do you mean critical race theory or, or transgenderism taught in schools? This is a right wing conspiracy. Oh, really? Why are these kids being told not to tell their parents stuff? Yeah, I mean, that's that's my biggest issue with with the whole thing is that the teacher told the kids not to relay the information to the parents, and that should be a red flag for parents everywhere. Uh, why are you trying to hide? the raising of my child from, from, from the parents. I mean, they think it's almost like the people in the system think that they have a right to your kids' minds and they think that they're the parents, not the actual families. Um, so that's a, a red flag there. And look, the more, the more and more that the government school systems do this kind of stuff, whether it, it is a curriculum that doesn't align with the parents' interest or whether it's hiding things from parents as much as possible and not providing transparency or whether it's forcing masks on kids regardless of the decision of the families this is just more and more energy and and reasons for allowing families to exit the system and to provide them with true alternative options which is allowing the funding to follow the child uh, so I, on, on the one hand seeing all this stuff is depressing because there are real negative impacts for children uh, and, and families that don't have a say at the moment, particularly if they can't afford any other alternatives. But the other side of me, the school choice advocate in me says, keep, keep it going a little longer, teachers, yeah, unions, because we're seeing so much support for empowering families truly by giving them uh, the ability to vote with their feet. And I know. I, it's only going to continue the worst things. It's getting. an interesting conundrum, isn't it? Yeah, I'm like you. Part of me says like, I know. Why don't you just tell every student that they have to believe everything the teacher believes? Otherwise, like 100 percent of the time or they get an F. You know, do the, Please do that. That'll be the best thing for school choice. Um, all right. What do you got? Your turn. So in Chicago, since I'm here, uh, I, well, one, they re responded to me on Twitter today because I called them out for for a protest that they're doing today uh, outside the Board of Education here in Chicago. What happened was in 2019, Chicago spent about $20,000, $21,000 per student per year. And in the latest budget proposal from the school district, Chicago Public Schools, they're proposing an over $27,000 spending per student in the 2022 school year, which is about a 30 4% increase over the past couple of years. That seems Stunning. like a great deal for the school district, Twenty-seven over $27,000. That's using previous enrollment too. It's enrollment's going down. So it's going to be way over $27,000 per kid, but just a costless estimate is at least 27,000, at least the 34% increase. They're outside. They must be doing an incredible job, an incredible job to get that level of funding, but go ahead. The, the increases in funding aren't changing anything and things aren't getting any better, but they're outside still picketing and protesting, saying that that's not enough money. And my takeaway is, look, it's never going to be enough. You can spend $50,000 and things won't change per child and things won't be any different if the system doesn't have any real incentive to spend that money wisely and to allocate it towards the classroom and to and, and to actually improve students' learning environments. What they're calling for is just throwing more people into the system. It's more of a jobs program, which benefits their union by creating more dues-paying members. Uh, they didn't like that I called that out, um, and so they responded on uh, Twitter today. But yeah, the main story is here, which is Chicago School Board to discuss proposal Wednesday, teachers' union demands redo. 
They're calling it a, re a budget redo to help students with trauma. So they created a lot of this trauma by keeping the schools closed for over a year while they were vacationing in Puerto Rico in person but couldn't work in person. And while trying to claim that the push to reopen schools was rooted in racism, which is something that they tweeted and then later yes. deleted uh, after it blew yes. up in their face. After all this nonsense over the past year, interpretive dance videos to protest going back to work, now they're saying a 34% increase isn't enough on a per people basis. They need even more money. Um, and again, it's because their incentive is to always say, we just need more because their customers can't go anywhere else. And so when they raise their price through lobbying to the taxpayer, they see all the benefits and they don't feel any costs for these tremendous prices. Meanwhile, the private school tuition on average here in Chicago is about $12,000 per student, less than half for, of what they're spending two, in the public schools. For two Chicago teacher contracts in a row, uh, both under Arne Duncan, uh, excuse me, uh, bo I, I, I'm, uh, excuse me, I mean both under Rahm Emanuel as mayor of Chicago, uh, two in a row, uh, there was a moratorium on charter school expansion that the union negotiated and got in the contracts. Uh, I'm not sure if the most recent contract includes also a moratorium on charter growth. I suspect it does. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, it goes on and on, right? Yeah, have you ever heard the term fully funded education? Like, we need to fully fund schools. Or, we, why, why, you know, why are you blocking fully funded? My definition of fully funded education is 10 to 30% more than whatever's being spent now. That is my operative definition. It turns out that maybe I have to make that 10 to 40% in light of this this new data that you're bringing up. So what did you say the increase was, 30-something? It's at least 34%. That's if you're using the old enrollment numbers for 2022 because these yeah. numbers aren't available yet, but it's lower. We already know that the, on average in the U.S., public school enrollment in other states has already decreased about 3%. Illinois yeah. hasn't gotten their stuff together and provided the data yet, but we can expect at least a 3% drop especially right. looking at historical trends. In My bad, everybody. Fully funded education means now 10 to 40% more than whatever's being currently spent. That's the that's my new revised definition. Speaking of unions, I wanted to talk about Mississippi. A alleged teacher union leader embezzlement in Mississippi sparks federal lawsuit. <laughs> this one is about as fun as, well, I think a few shows ago when we found out that the N-E-A-T, one of the unions that works for the N-E-A was, had authorized a strike against the N-E-A Teachers Union. Anyway, this is a different story about Mississippi. It's a AFT teacher union chapter in Mississippi claiming the national AFT helped cover up questionable financial transa uh, transactions of funds by the Jackson, Mississippi Federation of Teachers. So you have the state teachers union claiming that both the local and national were involved in corruption. This is amazing. I mean, like to 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 say, well, what, what are they going to say? Oh, we can't trust this. These people hate teachers unions. They hate teachers. No, these are teachers unions accusing each other in the state of Mississippi about corruption. So, look, I... I'm not a jury in this corruption tri trial. Jury member, I haven't seen all the evidence. I can't say... You know, there's a presumption of innocence, et cetera. But here we go again, folks. Yeah, I think they actually did conduct an investigation on the the state chapter. And uh, according to this article in Y'all Politics, um, they said that AFT told them to stand down until they can complete an investigation. It was January of 2020 before an investigation concluded and the state chapter suspects it was only done because they hired a lawyer. And the, it says the AFT investigation found, as reported by Jackson Jambalaya, which is another outlet, that there was all of this evidence of wrongdoing. There's like 10 bullet points here that they um, uh, increased their salaries, there's improper transactions. And so they're t using this information and taking it to... Um, uh, it says that the, they, have, they have a case filed in U.S. District Court uh, claiming several counts of embezzlement, unjust enrichment, and breach of fiduciary duty. So yep. Federal go. lawsuit. The federal lawsuit claiming the national AFT helped cover up what the local had done. That's what it claims. So, look, anyway. <laughs> 
There you go. It's <laughs> Oops. all right. Go ahead, Corey. Um, yeah. Another one of the silver lining stories is I found some data as reported by someone at Maine Policy, um, Maine Policy Institute. Uh, his name is Nick Murray. He put this uh, data together from Maine, finding a 74% increase in homeschooling in Maine since last year from it's about 6,800 students to about 1,200 students uh, in 2021. So 74% increase. People are voting with their feet well, uh, for a lot of different reasons. And here's just one more data point from Maine. You know what, you know what the statist establishments folks, uh, monopoly advocates say, Corey? They're like, that's just COVID. It'll all switch back once COVID is over after, you know, the next 45 variants, you know, like are locked. We have lockdowns for, right? So any, whatever, however they defend co- uh, d- define COVID being over, they'll say like, oh, all these homeschoolers are coming right back. What do you say to that? Well, there's some that'll come back, but we don't know how many of them are going to come back, Um, especially if we get policies in place for the funding to follow the child. I mean, if you ask parents where they want to send their kids relative to what kind of environment their kids are in right now, every poll that I've seen on the subject suggests that fewer than half of the kids that are currently in government schools would be in in government schools if they had exit options. So there's a lot of unhappy customers. And I think this is why teacher unions are so terrified of any policy that allows the funding, even if it's a fraction of what they would have gotten in the government schools. That's why they're so terrified of allowing families to have any, any exit options because families would probably vote with their feet to these other alternatives. Um, And yeah, we just don't know how many are going to go back, but look, the best case scenario is that enrollment for the public schools is that enrollment goes back to what it was before. But, you know, I think there's a lot of families that have figured out that homeschooling could work. There's a lot of families who could have figured out that micro schooling is a good option for them or hybrid homeschooling. More families are seeking out school choice options. So uh, the absolute best case scenario is business as usual for the public schools. But look, 1.5 million kids have already been lost from the public school system over the past year. That's a lot of them aren't going to come back. I happen to think this micro school thing you just mentioned, that's the kind of secret killer app here. I, I mean, having covered the Prenda story in Arizona and we did a choice media video about that. And uh, I was blown away by this model. And I just thought, you know, this it's, it's got benef- the benefits of homeschooling, meaning you learn at your own pace and but it's got socialization and the kids have fun. I'm just like, but yet it's a small group, so there's no bullying going on. You know, if there's anything that's slightly in that direction, it's immediately stopped. It's just like, oh my gosh! I mean, it's like if people find out about this, it's gonna it's gonna you know grow exponentially. Seem to me. <laughs> anyway, so let's move on. Let me. Um, so it's uh, for those who are maybe not super young. They might remember a book from a couple decades ago called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, written by an author, Robert Kiyosaki. And boy, you know, we don't always get people that are known outside the sphere of school choice talking about the subject of school choice. But we did this week. And just check out this guy's, like, whether he's telling the truth or not. His dad, was the head of the Hawaii Teachers Union. And just decide for yourself if this guy's telling the truth or making it up. Do you believe that what's happening with public schools and just schools in general, you saw the school in New York recently where I don't recall exactly what it was about, but a father was like, I've had enough of what's going on in my private school. So it's not just the public schools. Is that intentional? Is there some kind of greater plan in your mind that this is what we're gonna do to create a, a population that matches their cultural goals. It's intentional. If, if you look at where the money is going for this COVID-19, the money is going to teachers unions. And look at the teachers unions, they can shut the school system down, they don't have to teach. teach. They're on vacation in Puerto Rico, they're collecting extra money and all this. But the teachers unions, that was my poor dad. My poor dad was head of the HSTA, Hawaii State Teachers Association. So when I was about 15 or 16, I'd, he'd have all these henchmen around him. The henchmen? I, well, the union guys. 
They're not concerned about our education. Are they concerned about the rank and file? It's how much money can they get? Yeah. <laughs> Corey? Well, there it is. Yeah, he's uh, he's right. Of course, they've used the past 15, 16 months to extort more money from the taxpayers. I love how he throws in the Puerto Rico story <laughs> that you mentioned earlier in this show. Yeah, I'm, I'm here hanging out with the board members uh, uh, in Chicago that were uh, vacationing in Puerto Rico. Not, yeah, I'm just... Uh, here for an event, but yeah. um, it's uh, yeah, it's funny. Everybody goes to the Puerto Rico example because that just went so viral. I mean, that wasn't the only example of teachers vacationing. Uh, but for those who don't remember, this was a teacher who was saying, "Hey, look, when you go on vacations and have a good time, like I am poolside here in Puerto Rico, try not to." Is it, do I have that right? Didn't she say something like? Um, or maybe no. I guess that was a different thing. She was actually just saying what a, what a great time I'm having. Well, yeah, and she was fighting against reopening the school, saying it wasn't safe. At the same time, people found out on her Instagram and other social media that she was taking selfies at the at, at, at the at the pool in Puerto Rico, which set off a bunch of alarms for people yeah. saying, well, "Well, if it's safe enough for you to travel all the way to Puerto Rico to vacation in person." Why isn't it safe for you to go back to work in person? And the obvious answer to that is it's it's more enjoyable to vacation in person than it is to go to work in person. I'm conflating yeah. two stories. There was another story where people said, hey, shh, there was another ah, LA. A private. Remember, this was a private Facebook group for teachers only that said, please don't talk on social media about your awesome vacations while at the same time we are messaging that school, you know, it's dangerous to be in person with anyone. That yeah, was a different was, story. This was, this was after the Chicago person board member was caught vacationing in Puerto Rico. Los yeah, Angeles yeah. had a private Facebook group where they were saying, you know, if you go vacation, fine, but uh, just don't post it on social media obviously, because it looks bad and blows up in their yeah, face. That's what it was. Um, it was. I figured you'd remember where. Yeah, it was Los Angeles. That sounds right. Yeah, yep, and here's the, the story. Chicago Teachers Union leader partied in Puerto Rico as leaders were herded back into school. Teachers were herded back into schools. This yeah. is the World Socialist website <laughs> reporting <laughs> on it as well. It's the first one I could well, find. When the teachers union get bad enough that the socialists are yelling at the unions. That's, that's pretty good. So we should go over this uh, story with uh, King Randall. Okay. So this is a young man out of uh, Albany, Georgia, who, um, uh, in fact, the link in the Choice Media tweet on this, the link for the full interview is there. But we, I just grabbed, you can get a real good flavor of it in what we're about to show. And um, this is a young man who said, I want to make a difference. And I guess this is, uh, well, pretty inspiring to me. You guys decide. Every time something happens in our city, uh, whether somebody gets killed or et cetera, well, a boy in particular, people want to have meetings. And every time I go to these meetings, people want to you know, get all philosophical and things like that. But nobody wanted to do anything or they say things like, well, the kids don't have a basketball goal over here. They need a pool or something. I'm just like, no, these children need some mindset changing because if they get a basketball goal, all they do is just shoot each other at the basketball court. Like they really need some 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 guidance yeah. in, yeah. in, in men in their lives. Um, so I started this program. Um, I did a field trip. I uh, made a flyer on my phone. Uh, and I took the kids to Atlanta uh, to the Center for Civil and Human Rights, and I took them to the African American History Museum. Um, and when I took them on this trip, uh, I kind of knew that's what I was supposed to be doing because while I was there, the children the questions that they were asking um, and them wanting to be out of their condition, that's how I knew that the children are where I was supposed to be. Um, and quite frankly, honestly, the, the school idea didn't come you know, until one day I was listening to uh, Malcolm X. And of course, in our community, uh, a lot of us who are pro-black or what have you, a lot of them you know, listen to Malcolm and Martin and things like that. But we would talk about them, but nobody would like really push uh, what they actually talked about in their speeches. So I heard a debate between Malcolm and Bayard Rustin. And uh, Malcolm said, if white immigrants could come to this country years ago with nickels and dimes and no education, come and pull their little nickels and dimes and no education, set up stores, develop those stores into larger stores, um, which turns into an industry, which creates job opportunities for their own kind. He said, with us at that time having a uh, spending power of $20 billion, um, today is over a trillion dollars, not using any of that money to set up any industry, 
industry, not setting up any factories, not setting up any job opportunities for our own kind, we're not in a moral position to point the finger today at the white man and claim that he's discriminating against us for not giving us jobs and factories we hadn't set up. So I'm listening to this, I'm like, this sounds like 2021. So I'm just like, man, so I'm like, well, if we say the schools are failing, why don't we try opening our own schools? If we say that wow. the, the hospitals are failing, why not opening our own hospitals? So I went on a quest. I told my boys, I was like, listen, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to open us up a school one day. I'm not sure how we're going to do it. I'll figure it out. So, uh, by the way, at our website, choicemedia.tv, or our Twitter feed, which is at choicemedia.tv, you can uh, see the link for his school. If anyone wants to donate to his school, can find the link there and um, and also for the link for the whole interview. So we covered his story pretty recently, right, in in Georgia, where trying to start a charter school and the city or some the school district or something included regulations for him to buy a, a building that wasn't being used. It was yeah, it was set to be demolished, uh, an old public school building. And they added regulations like they like I don't remember if it was they, that he had to hire public school employees or they ha- he had to um, provide to, to, to use their curriculum approved curriculum or something. But it was just, you know, just went to show you that it was uh, adding regulations for him to make it more difficult for them to him to compete with the district. Well, this is not a charter school. This is a private school. He clarified clarified that in the in the interview. Uh, this example. So I'm not sure if it's a different guy, or I'm not sure if he switched from the charter model to the private model. But it's for sure he said private school is his. Uh, well, yeah, that, now. that that makes the um, that makes the actions of the district even worse. Trying to regulate uh, a fully private school with all of these. Uh, additional regulation. I haven't looked in, I haven't looked into where that story went since we first shared it, but we'll look back. Well, I'll tell you this. He, he explains that he had, he has kids right now in his group. Some of them are in sixth grade. He says they can't read at all. And as I mentioned earlier, he, they, they, some of them can't read dog or cat. Those are his examples. That's what he says about some of these kids. And not to mention, he also talks about something I think is important, which is the concept of male role models. And he says over 90 percent of the kids don't have fathers in their lives. And he talks about how male how important male role models were to him when he was a kid. And he's trying to to be that. And this is the kind of thing, of course, you're not allowed to talk about in the traditional public sphere space because, you know, making a distinction between genders is virtually hate speech. <laughs> and yet this young man believes that you know, male role models actually matter, you know? So, uh, he says that, and I was, uh, sitting there cheering. Here's the story I was thinking of. It is the same guy. Um, here we go. School trying to, school trying to prevent use of defunct facility for charter school, which maybe it's a, maybe it is a private school. Um, due to well, that's him. All right. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the, uh, maybe the, is that a Fox News station? Maybe they got that wrong, or this maybe he switched models. Yeah, this is back in May too. Right. But um, yeah, so that's interesting. At any rate, I mean, it just it, him, you know. Well, I mean, I'll tell you something too. I, you know, th- this also is described. Now, I'm not sure he used the term "black conservative," but the other title of this YouTube channel called Value Entertainment, where this was published, or Valuetainment, actually, where this was uh, originally you know, released this interview, um, referred to him as a black conservative. Um, and I do think the concept of black conservatives is, is frightening to the left. It is, uh, I mean, whether you're talking about Tim Scott or whether you're talking about, um, uh, Ben Carson or whether you're talking about Larry Elder, I, I think this is, you know, also, and, and by the way, something you'll never hear on CNN is the fact that Donald Trump, uh, increased his black vote significantly between 2016 and 2020. He went from eight or nine percent black vote to 14 percent black vote during after four years of being called a white supremacist over and over and over again on traditional media. For some reason, this alleged white supremacist increased his black vote uh, by in his second presidential 
campaign. So, and by the way, running against Barack Obama's vice president. So at any rate, I do think, uh, I do think um, Tim Scott could be a candidate for 2024. And uh, if he's not, he could still be a vice presidential candidate if he doesn't run for president. So we'll see. I want to get, get your thoughts before we sign off on, do you think uh, the teachers unions influenced the CDC guidance again, or do you think they at least tried? Interesting. I want to take, I want to take bets before we find out because there's going to be information that comes out. Prob- I, I can only imagine well, a bunch of groups did FOIA requests. Like you don't think they'd have been smarter this time about how to influence the CDC. I do. If I'm the teachers union trying to, in a nefarious way, influence public policy like this and not this time, I don't want to be outed for it. You have private one-on-one conversations with the CDC in the, you know, maybe in a car rolling down the road somewhere. I don't know. somewhere without, without a microphone, you know, somehow you make sure everybody's cell phone has been confiscated. It could record the conversation. Uh, it seems to me if it happened, they would not have done it by email. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we, we found out about them last time via email. So, um, yeah. So even if evidence doesn't come out that they did influence, that doesn't mean they didn't influence if they've gotten sneakier about it. But at the same time, like, you know, Randy has tried to act like there was nothing nefarious and nothing that they had to hide once the, after the information came out. Um, so maybe they just, uh, do the same thing. They talk about it over email. And then once the information comes out, they'll, they'll try no, the that, same like, thing. Who cares? And, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do. Everybody else lobbied too. Yeah. It's just lobbying. Um, yeah, right. But at the same time, like um, if that was their true position and they truly felt that it wasn't nefarious, well then why didn't they come out and say that to begin with? Why did it, why was it only after the emails came out? Exactly. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, for those as exciting as the Random Assignment uh, podcast and live stream is, you know, we don't have exactly a live audience, but we did last week. Corey and I spoke before a live audience that was recorded, and we expect that to be released as a special edition of the Random Assignment podcast uh, later this week, which I guess is either Thursday or Friday. So look for that, everybody. I can't wait for that one. I think we were... Uh grabbing the mic from each other and trying yeah. to get, get in Fuego. It's fun. <laughs> All right, everybody. So thanks for watching this edition of Random Assignment. We appreciate it. We'll see you next time.